Okay, hello! Welcome to episode 259 of Sack King's Therapy. Uh, I'm coming to you right after the Kings blow out the Memphis Grizzlies at home. Now, to be fair, caveat, they were without John Morant and Stephen Adams, who were questionable coming into the game, and then they were out um, right around, like, I think about maybe an hour or so before the game tipped off. 7.30 start, by the way. Those are brutal. Um, so, yeah, caveat, they were without John Stephen Adams, and uh, they were also on a second night of a back-to-back. But the Kings are not good against teams on second night of back-to-backs. They are also, you know, they have a mixed record when it comes to, you know, teams missing their stars. Although, like, Stephen Adams, not a star, but a very, very important player for the Grizzlies. We just saw it last game. Like without Joel Embiid and James Harden, the Kings still dropped that game. That was not the case this game. It it was a it, it was a fun it was a fun one. Although it, it was it was ugly for a bit, but we'll get into all that. Uh, also, a game time decision. Uh, originally, I didn't know he was questionable coming into this game. Uh, Fong uh, just texted me about uh, at about an hour before the game, and then all of a sudden said he was out. So I didn't even know he was a game time decision, but. Uh, unfortunately, he had some. He had basically a family thing going on, uh, not a family emergency by any means, but uh, yeah, he had some. He had something to do, so he was not able to watch the game. His loss because it was a good game. It was a very good game to watch. Let's let let's get into it. So the Kings they start out the first quarter smoking hot. Um, Harrison Barnes hits five threes in a row. Uh, Keegan Murray, I believe, I forgot how many, oh, I don't actually have the stat of how many he hit. I think he had either four or three threes in the first quarter. Anyways, the Kings were 12 of 13 in the first quarter from three. And overall, they shot 17 of 24. I forgot to do the math of how much that is. That is very, very good if you if you don't like doing math. But it was it was go, so, going so well for the Kings on offense. Uh, that the three, the only three that they missed, which was a Harrison Barnes rush three from the corner, it, that was an air ball, went, went right to Rashawn Holmes for an and one. So might as well count that as a three. <laughs> don't don't even count that as a miss. But it was just going so well. That, yeah, they couldn't miss from three. And uh, they went up 14 on the Grizzlies. They scored 47 points in the first quarter. However, I had the, I had the feeling. Now, there probably have been cases where... There has been what I call a fragile lead. It was a 14-point game going into going into the second quarter. But I felt that lead was fragile. Why? Because the Kings, like in Philly, like when they went up big, I had the feeling where they weren't playing any defense. And, you know, it just so happens they're hitting all their shots. And I even have it in my notes here. They're not going to – you can't rely on being this – this hot from you know from outside you are going to have to play defense at some point but but they don't or actually no so it's going into the second quarter they cool down so they were 12 of 13 from three in the first quarter they were one of nine from three in the second quarter and i believe what i believe the one was like a pretty ridiculous step back malik monk three anyways the, the king cooled down from three their defense remained pretty bad for the most part. There were there were moments where it was pretty good, but it just they just couldn't string it consistently on possession by possession basis. 
But overall, the Grizzlies were getting good shots. They were turning it into their game in a way. They were getting gritty with it. You know, um, was a grit and grind. There we go. Like they kind of reverted back to, you know, their gritty style. And they kind of grinded down the Kings. Now, to the Kings' credit, they played they played that style pretty well, too. They were also kind of grinding it out and just, you know, like they were, do they were doing their part in a way. They just weren't smoking hot. So, anyways, it's a five-point lead going into halftime. And coming out of halftime, it continues to be a gritty game. And the Kings' defense, again, it was good in moments. But again, they would just let the Grizzlies kind of get to their spots. They would let them score a little too easily. And briefly, the, the Grizzlies took the lead. And all hope, it looked really, really bad because, it, you know, it's it's kind of like, you know, what's the Groundhog Day, I believe is what it's called? Deja Vu, whatever. It's like Deja Vu from uh, the Philly game. They let they let Desmond Bain kind of go off. They, he was looking like Tyrese Maxey in that he was just attacking relentlessly. He was going to the rim and getting scores, getting floaters in the lane, hitting from three. He was unstoppable. Meanwhile, the Kings did kind of match him a little bit, but you know, you just let a guy go off like that. You know, it, it's gonna it's gonna be ugly for you, and you know, it then becomes a competition of who blinks first. Well, in this game, the, the Grizzlies blinked first, which was surprising because. The Kings had a secret weapon in their pocket this game. They had the bench come in. And off the bench, you have Malik Monk, who had his first really good game for in a while. Like, he was he was diming up guys. He had eight assists this game. And then he was also attacking the rim and getting good, and just attacking the rim, setting up guys, and also finishing. Like, and also he shot well. He shot decently well. It was two for five. You know, not bad. But he... But he was but he was aggressive. He was setting guys up, and he played very very well. Rashawn Holmes. I just talked about how the Kings' defense was pretty bad for the most part. When he came in the game, now he wasn't perfect by any means, but his activity, his mobility, his length definitely had an effect on the game. He was he was good on defense, and I thought he played really really well on that end. But this game, the game ball, and I'm pretty now I don't know who has won the defensive player of the or defensive player of the game just yet. Uh, but I'm pretty sure he is going to be getting the chain because he what he was the man of the game. He he is gonna he is probably he is the best score. He was the reason why the Kings won this game. He was out there playing defense. He was out there hitting three six of eight from three this game. And amazing enough, he well he did shoot the best from the field. But you also had Harrison Barnes hitting six of nine and Keegan Murray hitting five of seven. But Trey Lyles hit the threes that the Kings needed. And on top of that, was incredible on defense. He had th two steals and three blocks. And those were just as big as any of his threes. Just con just a lot of activity, using his length, but, you know, getting, again, getting block shots. He had, he had the sequence of the night where he deflects, in the fourth quarter, he deflects the ball. Um, it goes to Desmond Bain, but he somehow is able to knock it out of his hands and then goes down... The, the court for a dunk he brought the energy he brought the scoring he brought the rebounding and he brought it on he wanted all the smoke this game and he deserves the game ball for this game this is this, this is what i'm gonna call this episode this the trey lyles game the sequel because we already had a trey lyles game a few, a few games back i actually don't remember off the top of my head what game that was but this is the sequel because he won he won the kings this game 
in, you know, like the stars, you, you look at, you actually look at the box score. It did, they didn't play all that bad. Like De'Aaron Fox, 17 and 10 with a uh, four steals and four rebounds, but six turnovers. Sabonis had a triple double this game, 14 points, 10 rebounds, 11 assists, but eight turnovers. It was genuinely his worst game. I've actually seen him play. You know, something about the, the physicality of, of the, of the Grizzlies and also their length. Also, they're flopping. <laughs> like, let's not get it twisted. Like, really, actually bothered Sabonis. He was he was really frustrated. He missed he missed a few bunnies. He looked a little uncomfortable out there, and he just looked really unfocused, in my opinion. And you know, your stars like they still did their job for the most part, but they were not playing well. And you needed someone else to step up. Now, Harrison Barnes stepped up in the first in the first half. He only had one field goal the rest of the game. He only had well, he had he had one more made three after making five in the first quarter. You know, Keegan Murray showed up. Kevin Herter was a bit had a quiet game, so you needed someone else that you needed just some some more from anywhere else on the team. And Trey Lyles, Rashawn Holmes, and you know to a certain degree, Davion Mitchell. Davion Mitchell, I thought had a pretty decent game as well. Like I just wish he played more. It's just he's not getting the minutes, but I thought he I thought you know he affected the game. And Malik Monk. Like Malik Monk, like they filled in all the holes that were that needed to be filled, and it resulted in an absolute demolishing of the Grizzlies in the fourth quarter. I just said like that that uh that that uh pick not pick six but like the steal that and the Trey Lyles dunk that was basically like the sequence of the game. And after that, the Grizzlies just melted down. They started turning the ball over. They just they couldn't make a shot. They had two field goals in the in the fourth quarter like um let me let me take a look i have it here like jaron jackson makes a makes like a little floater thing in the lane at 9:59 they would not make a single field goal for the rest of the game now granted i think the starters or they they took out they subbed in the third unit like at a, like the 5 minute mark or actually no like at, at around the 4 minute mark so like there's another 4 minutes where like guys just couldn't make shots but like yeah they just gassed out and, you know, like second half of back-to-back is tough. But credit to the Kings for just bringing the energy, grinding it out, and, like, really just show like, guys showed up when they needed it. And, you know, it becomes, it then became a, a blowout and just a, an incredible win at home. You know, much-needed win at home because, you know, you're going to go on a long road trip. And, yeah, like, it was just, it was, it was a really good game. And, you know, the Kings... They they showed you they showed you like they can they can play ugly too and like you know on a second of a back to back they can they can grind you out too they kind of played the you know they they got baited into playing the well not baited but like they just simply couldn't keep up their hot shooting and instead they it turned into a grinded out game that the grizz that the Grizzlies excel in and they out grinded <laughs> the Grizzlies that's what that's basically what happened this game. You know, credit to credit to the bench, credit to the players, you know, for sticking with it because out, like after that first quarter, you know, the the wind came out of came out of their sails and it just looked like they they basically were going to fall apart. But hey, they stick they stuck together. You know, they had a, a day of rest and they used all that energy to kind of, you know, turn it into this kind of game where they just absolutely destroy a shorthanded and, you know, tired Grizzlies team. So yeah, credit to them for all that. Really good win. And yeah, when you know when the Kings' bench is going, they're absolutely unstoppable. I guess is uh, I guess the takeaway. So uh, again, just 
you know, how much you need to win against a very against a good Western Conference team. And you know, you go you now go on the road with a little bit of momentum and you know, hopefully they keep up this momentum. Now, friends, at this road trip, not a lot of really good teams by any means. Let me just check the schedule really quickly. Let me just check. So they're playing against, well, actually, no, they're not on the road yet. They actually play the Raptors um, on Wednesday. And then they go on a road trip to Minnesota twice, and then San Antonio, Indiana, oh, New Orleans. Now that's interesting. And then finish in Houston. Okay, so one really, really good uh, Western Conference team in that, in that, uh, in that mix. So, you know, again, just a, a much needed bounce back win after a pretty demoralizing loss against the Philadelphia 76ers. And yeah, the Kings showed you like they they can turn it up on defense. Now it's up it's up to them to be better on that end, and I don't I don't know if they can actually kind of match this kind of performance, but hey, they did it this game, and you know you just wonder like can they do it? Maybe we'll see we'll see. But great great game to watch. Like the national media, really, like a lot of people were talking about it. Like you had some you had Ryan Vasil talking about it. You have you know much maligned Kendrick Perkins uh, talking about it. I, I've learned to love Kendrick Perkins, but. You know, a lot of people don't like him. And honestly, he is a bit of a he he talk, he he says some wild shit. A anyways, but you know, this is one of those games where you're on NBA TV. You forgot to mention that. So, like, you know, you get you just have more eyeballs on the product. And you know, you, you come out with a big show like this, like you're gonna get more national attention. So good on the Kings for this win. And you know, they're We'll see what they do against the Raptors. The Raptors are a bit of a, a bit of a hot mess for the most part. So, hopefully, like the Kings can take that one too, get some momentum uh, before they head out on the road, and you know, just just keep up this momentum. I, I guess is the point. I don't know where else I'm going with this. I feel like I'm repeating myself, but hey, it's just after the game. I'm still hyped from the game. It was a, it was really really fun, and just you kind of wish that the Grizzlies were fully healthy, but hey, a win's a win. And I will happily take this kind of game. Okay. All right. So um, with that part over, I mean, the, the Kings game, I uh, just want to quickly go over uh, just some news around the league. Um, so um, so I thought this was really funny, just about Dylan Brooks, who I didn't think played terrible by any means. But, I mean, if you look at the box score, not too bad at all. But... Um, so I, I was just browsing through Twitter and I found one of WAP's tweets calling it the, he basically is talking about Dylan Brooks. He's, he refers, he referred to him to something called the Josh Smith theory. So I'm just going to pull up the tweet here and it's, it's really funny. Let me just pull it up. Okay. I'm going to actually have to type in WAP because it's actually pretty far in my timeline now. So the Josh Smith theory. So, uh, TLDR. When a player who should not be shooting threes sees one go in, they think they're on fire, have a green light to attempt them when they really matter. The result? Lots of my bad. And Denzel Valentine apparently was the winner of this award before this. But Dylan Brooks, I'll, I'll just say, um, like, I, he's, a, he's a very good defensive player. Just crazy, ridiculous, tough on that end. Just, you know, one of those tough sons of bitches. Um, just... On, on the other team that you just never want to deal with has a has an attitude about him and you know you love him or hate him he's a guy you want on your team now 
on the offensive end, it's a whole other story. He he really does take some god awful shots. Like there was one play where he drove to the rim when the Grizzlies were like you know falling apart, and he just literally it looked like something like a you know like a middle schooler would try where he just go to the rim. I guess he tried to draw a yeah I think he tried to draw a foul and then literally just toss the ball in the air. And just one of the weirdest shots I've ever seen. He's in the category for me if, if, with Marcus Smart and Russell Westbrook, where just weird shit just happens when I watch them. It's one of the funniest things in the world. And yeah, like he he is a guy that will just take some god awful shots. He, he took a step back three against Keegan all up in his grill for no reason during the game. It's just yeah, yeah, like great again, great defensive player, an absolute dog. But man, that, that dude need to relax on his shot selection. He is not Kobe Bryant. He is not Michael Jordan. Okay. Uh, Jaron Jackson, he, he's a problem. Just again, he's just a giant, a, a beefy giant wing, essentially. And, and just can overpower Harrison Barnes. Like the, the Kings really don't have a guy for him. They actually had some bonus on him, which I thought was a good matchup, but you don't want to put him on him all the time. But yeah, he, he had a weird game in that uh, just shot really badly. Because he keeps shooting this like left-handed, right-handed floater, like about like five feet from the rim, and you know it it, it just didn't go this game, unfortunately for him. And you know it, it was big, and you know he was he's a legit rim protector. Like he affected so many shots that yeah he again just an oversized wing, one of the best defensive players. Did I wish the Kings foul bait him a little bit more because there were there were moments where they could have absolutely foul bait got him into foul trouble and then the Grizzlies probably fall apart even quicker, but overall just, it was, it was a fun game. Desmond Bain, he is, he's really, really good. Like just some of the, some of the shots that Dylan Brooks take, just give him, just give him to Desmond Bain. And you know, he's just a guy that attacks. He's a, he's one of those kinds of guys that just plays his role and he's, and he can like put the ball on the ground. He doesn't try to do too much. Like Dylan Brooks falls in that, falls in that trap a little too much. Desmond Bain like can create good shots he takes good shots and just doesn't try to do too much. But, and, you know, the only issue with him is he doesn't take enough shots. Granted, like, when you force it as much as he, like, if you force it a little bit more, you might be forcing some pretty bad ones. But I thought he was really good this game. And, you know, had he kept it going, like, you know, he could, he very much could have been the Kings killer. Um, other guy I just want to quickly mention, this is the first time I've ever seen him, Kenny Lofton Jr. Just, that is a thick boy my god great granted he tried to run right in alex len and somehow felt and somehow alex len was able to withstand him and actually knock him down so like damn <laughs> looks like a looks like a fucking linebacker he is a thick boy brandon clark i love brandon clark just a guy that just has a nose for the ball now he didn't do the he didn't do as much of this game just kind of got neutralized a little bit but yeah he's a really good player i really i love brandon clark okay I, I just said I was going into the league and I started talking about uh, start talking about the Grizzlies. But anyways, uh, just some just some quick news around the league. Um, so the Cel so the Celtics uh, lose to the Magic. Uh, I think the third time this season. I believe they are zero and three against the Magic. I don't know what it is. I thought the I thought the Warriors kind of had their number because the Warriors haven't been great. But when he, when it matters, they show up against like the good teams like the Grizzlies. Um, and then uh, the, the Celtics, they destroyed them like the, when they went into Golden State. So, you know, I thought the I thought like the Golden State had their number, but, you know, good for the Celtics for beating them at home in overtime. Granted, like 
Clay doesn't drop that three in, in overtime, like, you know, they, it very much could have been a game. But, you know, it is what it is. They they managed uh, – the Celtics managed to beat the Celtics and, you know, kind of c- conquer that demon. They need to conquer this magic, this magic thing because it, they're 0-3 against them, and I don't know what it is. <laughs> I, I, I wish I actually watched the game. I'll have to watch a recap later, but what the fuck? Why do they keep losing the magic? Like, I'm looking at the box score. It's a balanced scoring attempt. And on the Celtics side, like, you know, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, they did their thing. I don't know what's going on. But uh, uh, another story in that game, Jonathan Isaac um, just made his return. Really, really happy for him after just, weirdly enough, missing two and a half years. Jamal Murray blew out his Achilles like almost four months or no. No, he got injured in August, so... And he got injured like right before the playoffs. So yeah, I think it was probably in I remember I remember Jamal Murray, I think, got injured in April of that year. So you're talking about a good eight months before Jonathan or after Jonathan Isaac. And somehow Jamal Murray comes back before Jonathan Isaac. And I, I can't really find anything to, about what's happened to his knee. I did find some articles about how he's really relieved to be able to come back. You know, really happy for him. Like, he, I actually, like, you know, I was, I would advocate, like, if the king, if the Kings, like, you know, do their homework and see if there's, you know, if this is something that, uh, if this is something, if, like, let's, let's just say the price isn't anything crazy, I would just, I would, you know, kick the tires on a Jonathan Isaac as kind of your big four or like big player at the four. Like he's a very good defensive player and he's got size and, you know, maybe he can run protect a little bit. We'll, we'll see how he looks coming back, you know, really happy for him to be able to come back and hopefully like, you know, he stays healthy and, you know, the magic, you know, with the, just with the addition of Paolo Bencaro have become one of the most intriguing teams going, going forward. Just, you know, with all with just their gigantic lineup, but like Paolo or Franz at the three, like both like six nine or above, and then Wendell Carter Jr. at the center, and then they got off the bench coming off the bench, Bo Bo and Jonathan Isaac. Like that's a lot of that's just a lot of size, and then their guards outside of Cole Anthony, huge guards like Jalen Suggs six four, like built built like Josh Hart essentially, and then Markel Fultz. I love Markel Fultz, so. Yeah, they got a they got a really they got a really bright future come you know going forward and we'll see who they who they're able to get in the draft to add to that even more. Like can you get, you know, a Sar Thompson or like, you know, just one of just one of the crazy wings of this draft. And like, yeah, they're on a really good path. I actually thought they were gonna be a sleeper to make the play in because I thought Mark Markell and Jonathan Isaac were gonna come in like, you know, at the start of the season and be really healthy, but we'll see. They still could. I mean, they, they, they got some vets there, and we'll, we'll see, like, what happens at the trade deadline, see if they're going to sell anything. But, yeah, I'm really, you know, really happy for um, Jonathan Isaac after just missing, yeah, two, basically, like, two and a half years. You know, congratulations to him. Okay, so it just came out that De'Aaron Fox wins the defensive player of the game chain. I'm surprised, to say the least, just because, like, I thought Trey Lyles was so instrumental on that, and, like, Rashawn Holmes was really good on that end as well, but... You know, under I guess like under all that, like you know, again, I, I look. You look at the box score. De'Aaron Fox had four steals, and I thought his like I forgot to mention this, but you know, in the four, like in the second half, his hands were so active 
on deflections, on passes that actually let, yeah, it actually led to a lot of those turnovers and, you know, contributed to a lot to the stops that they got like in the, in, like in the second half of the third quarter and then the uh, beginning of the fourth quarter. So it is actually the first time he's won the defensive player of the game, Shane, which I'm so part of me is surprised at the same time. I, I'll be honest, don't actually remember him winning it. So this is, and yeah, like it's, yeah, it says Jason Anderson t- tweets and also Sean Cunningham. Yeah, it's the first time he's ever won it this season. And apparently, um, from James Ham, according to Mike Brown, Fox uh took over the huddles in the third and fourth quarter. So uh, I'll just I'll just I'll just bring this up just because like Fox has a reputation of be of not being much of a vocal leader, and you know I've always thought I've I've never thought that was an issue. I've like I've. You know, you always even hear the stories of like uh, when, Ty- when Tyrese was still here, that De'Aaron would actually tell him like, "You need to shoot more. Like, the team is better when you shoot more." And then, you know, him also trusting like he empowers guys like Chemezi Metu like last year, like you know, trusting him to hit that game-winning three against the Mavericks, you know, instead of him going up for a layup. And then uh, James Ham talked about it in uh, ESPN thirteen twenty this uh, afternoon. Like him trusting Keegan to hit that three uh, against the um, against the Sixers. Now, granted, they didn't win that game, but like you know, he pa- he passes it out to the corner to Keegan to hit a three to cut it to one, and he is he is a player that definitely is not he's not vocal by any means, but he definitely has has he does do leadership stuff. Now, I, I think there's always a misconception about the term leadership. You have to be the rah-rah guy. You got to be Draymond. You got to yell at people. And I've always thought that was a bit, I always thought that was a bit unnecessary. Like, it, with De'Aaron just not showing a lot of emotion and him staying quiet all the time, you almost, a lot of people, like, you know, I've talked to people, like, they say, well, does he even care? No, I think he does care. He just doesn't really show it a lot of times. He doesn't. He's not a guy that shows a lot of emotion. Like, I'll be honest. Sometimes, like when he does, when he has a bad turnover, he has this look on his face that you know can get a little annoying. It's a bit of just kind of almost a very aloof face, a very kind of aloof slash cocky face, where like you know he's just kind of kind of just kind of just you know moves on to the next thing, and that can be misconstrued as like oh he doesn't really care, but. I've always felt like he's got a fire in him and you know he he's just one of those kinds of leaders that leads kind of not behind the scene well he do, he does do that like he leads behind the scenes and he empowers guys it's just not done in a rah rah way you know not just like you know he's just he's just like quiet guy that's just his demeanor it, it it's not is not in his nature to be that guy who yells at teammates and you know he doesn't need to be because he's got Sabonis for that. Like, and Sabonis is not a guy that just yells at his teammates for the sake of yelling at his teammates. He's doing it for the right reason. He's trying to empower them. He's trying to get them to do the right thing. And he's trying to, you know, help them play better. Like be that kind of big brother who kind of gets on his guys, holds guys accountable. Now, De'Aaron does it in a different way. And, you know, him take you know, him or like Mike Brown bringing up that he was the guy that took over in the huddles. Like you're, you don't see that on TV more than likely. You might see it at the games, but that's leadership on his part. And again, just him, him just like getting those deflections, you know, in a way kind of setting the tone as well. Like, you know, whether you want to say he set the tone or like Trey Lyles at the tone, uh, Rashawn Holmes at the tone, 
like when the, when your top guy is giving out that much effort and just making that many plays, it inspires you to do more. And you know, well deserved. I'm surprised he won it, and I'm, again, I'm surprised it's actually his first one. So, you know, the vibes are so good in Sacramento right now that you know it, it is it is just it is just great. Like I'm not going to say it brings a tear to my. I don't think it's that dramatic, but like it, it's is a different feeling. To finally feel these good vibes, especially this kind of deep into the season, like you know, half it, it's halfway through, and the Kings are you know deep, you know, in the midst, in deep in the kind of the playoff race. Let me, I actually haven't even checked the standings. Like, you know, they are now. <laughs> I was looking at the East standings. Uh, they are now two and a half, no, three and a half behind the Grizzlies. They are, let's see, they are four and a half. Uh, out of 10th now Zach Harper said the Kings are a bad week away from being you know you know in the play-in which is true but you but they have taken care of business very well um as of late you know three games above fifth like you're you're not you're no longer in that mushed up area um of like you know from five to ten where from five to ten like Dallas Mavericks from Dallas map there is one and a half games separating the fifth seed Mavericks and this and the 10 seed Golden State Warriors the Kings are four and a half so they built themselves a little bit of a cushion that you know if they do have a bad week they do they're not gonna straight up drop out of the play-in they're gonna be they're gonna be fighting in the play and it's gonna be ugly but they've built themselves a bit of a cushion they've beaten the teams that they need to be they went they went six and one and now they're seven and one in their last eight so you can't really ask much more from the Kings here and, you know, continue to win, continue to carry on this momentum. And, you know, you, you just like take yourself out of that, out of that bunched in group. So good on the Kings. The vibes are so good right now. You know, enjoy, enjoy this ride. Like, you know, we, a lot of us suffered through the misery that was last year and we're being rewarded with this year. Like, it, you know, the defense does need to be, <laughs> the defense will need to be fixed at some point, but right now, Everything is flowing. The chemistry is immaculate. It's, you know, the team is just, it's all smiles right now. So just enjoy this moment and just, you know, ride with it. Okay, after the commercial break, I'll just quickly go over the Rui Hachimura stuff. Um, so, yeah, I'll give you guys my thoughts on that. And, okay, uh, let's quickly talk about uh, the big trade that happened today. Uh, Rui Hachimura goes to the Lakers. For Kendrick Nunn, and basically three second round picks, and there might be protections on the. I'm not too sure, but anyways, yes, Rui Hachimura is now a Laker, and it's funny how no one is talking about the other side. At least I, I don't think I've. Well, I don't think I've read anything from the other side about like Kendrick Nunn going to the to the Wizards, whatever, <laughs> whatever. But Rui Hachimura to the Lakers. Now, I think this is a great trade for the Lakers. It you know gives them some size. And then it also gives them, you know, some pretty decent shooting and much-needed talent. That's really what this trade is about. But uh, I want to just talk about the Kings' perspective on this. So uh, apparently there was a there was a uh, rumor on Hoops Hype about that the Kings inquired, um, or like at least it were showed interest in Rui Hachimura. And that Rui Hachimura theoretically would kind of make sense on this team. To a certain degree. Now he's kind of like a, a four. He's more of a four, as far as I know, who can shoot and is you know is a big forward, and you know like he could 
either start or come off the bench. I mostly see him like as almost kind of duplicating what Keegan does. Like, let's just say you can't keep Harrison Barnes. Like, there's just no way. He would be a, a decent enough replacement, in my opinion. The defensive stuff isn't great, but it's it's whatever because his offense, I feel, is re- very good. Now, I did get to see him live during the Wizards game where it was an awful game. He was kind of – he was one of the main guys that just absolutely blew up in that second quarter to, you know – basically give the give the Wizards a lead that they never relinquish, give him a huge cushion and started kind of the avalanche. He's a problem on offense. And he's a really, really good player. And, you know, I kind of see him, like, if Keegan is who I think he is, like, he's already, he's kind of like a more mature Keegan in a way right now. Now, I can't speak on just the feel of uh, Rui. I, I've heard you know, coming into the, into the draft, like Rui had issues with his feel for the game, but the talent is there. And, you know, you can't, it doesn't hurt to add a bit of talent. And honestly, like with the price that the Lakers paid, which was basically, you know, a salary match and three dra- and three second round picks, second round picks, whatever, for the most part, they, most of the time they don't work out at all. And it's not exclusively on the Kings, but they just don't work out. And, you know, like you can kind of just honestly, if it was just like three for second round picks, the Kings gonna pay that price. Whatever the Kings. Uh, so I checked. The, so James Ham said they have five extra uh, second round picks. I I read four, so I don't know. But anyways, it, they could have matched that um, deal. But you know, it's not the end of the world. But I would have actually really liked Rui Hashimura in Sacramento. Like that's a lot of talent. It's a lot of offensive. It's even more offensive firepower. And you know. Like, he probably takes the, um, would he take the Chemezi Metsu spot? Like, it would be a bit of a logjam with, like, again, it's a it's a good kind of logjam because there's a lot of talent at the 3-4 position. But, like, I think he could fit alongside. And honestly, why not play all three of them, three of them together, get a little radical? But, uh, you know, good trade for the Lakers. I still do, I, I can see, foresee, like, something, like, you know, um, him working on the Kings, but now he's a Laker. Uh, for better, for better, for worse, we don't get to see the Lakers, so we won't get to see Rui as a Laker um, when uh, play the Kings. So that's one Kings killer out the way, <laughs> to say the least. Um, but overall, I thought this would have been an interesting trade had they made a trade for him. Like it's just another infusion of talent. He is a restricted free agent this season uh, or after the season, so you know the money could have gotten tricky. We just haven't seen enough. And, you know, James Ham mentions not a very healthy player for the most part. He's missed a ton of games and is, what, four years at this point? And I thought it was interesting how the Wizards, apparently, like, he had a quote, which was, to say the least, interesting. He said, I just want to be in place that wants me as a basketball player. So that's a bit, that's interesting. <laughs> um, so, yeah, like, I guess the Wizards just, they, they weren't going to extend them, it doesn't look like, and they just didn't. And he, I guess he just didn't feel like he was wanted there. And it's unfortunate because he's, he was good. You know, like when I, when I saw the wizards like live, like again, he was, he was a problem and the Kings for some reason kept leaving him open. So it's an infusion of talent that could have benefited the Kings. And you know, it's, he's off the table now, but I think he could be traded again if it doesn't work out, but Hey, you know, hopefully Monty has something else in the tank for this one. Uh, as of now, Rui Hachimura is a Laker. Um, he is not coming to the Kings. So, yeah, um, 
it's it's a it's fortunate, unfortunate, whatever, whatever you want to say about it. I I thought this was interesting. Um, again, Lakers made a I thought I think a pretty decent trade. Just Kendrick Nunn. No no offense to the guy, but you you just gave up nothing nothing for Rui basically. Three second round picks again, whatever. So yeah, good on the Lakers for kind of you know making something out of nothing. I'm not gonna say like they made you know chicken salad out of chicken shit or anything, but like you know they made they made something out of nothing. So good for them. We don't we don't see them, so it doesn't really matter to the Kings. I just what well, I just thought it would have been interesting had the Kings made a move. They did inquire about him, but didn't lead to anything. So, anyways, uh, just wanted to get my quick thoughts on that. Um, you know, uh, hopefully, like the Kings do make a move, and we'll, we'll see. As it, you know, just like how college papers, college projects are in college, everyone waits until the deadline to do anything. So we'll see how uh, we'll see if the Kings make any moves. Uh, as it stands now, thank you guys for listening to this episode. Uh, we'll, I'll catch you guys back on the next one, and hopefully Fong will be with me. It was, it was a last-minute thing, but and so hopefully he will be back. All right, thank you. We'll catch you guys on the next one.